So good to see each of you here in the house of the Lord, praising God together, coming before Him and His Word. Uh, that's the part of our worship we come to now. Uh, we're continuing in our series of messages from the Gospel according to John, and we're in the second half of the Gospel where I do think this theme of abiding in Jesus, of taking up residence in him, is kind of a dominant thought uh, through these final chapters. I'd like to start out today by reading uh, a passage from Isaiah chapter 5. I'll read the first four verses and then I'll skip ahead to verse 7. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. He expected it. I'm sorry. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why then, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? For the vineyard of Yahweh of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. God chose Israel as his vehicle to bring goodness back into a world consumed by sin and wickedness. But if you've read the story of Israel in the Bible, you know that Israel failed. <coughs> the history of Israel is a sad chronicle of a deeply unfaithful people bent on wickedness and abuse, pursued all the time by a loving and good God. We might despair reading this story. If God's chosen vehicle to bring goodness back into the world failed, is that the end of it? Thankfully, Israel was a first step. It wasn't the ultimate plan of God to fix our broken world. That's where Jesus comes in. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in John chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. I've titled today's message, God's True Vine. Let's begin with the first three verses. Judas, not Iscariot, says to him, Lord, how is it that you are about to reveal yourself? That's not the right passage. Okay, let me find it real quick. Oh, it's up there. Thank you very much. Technical difficulties. This is why I should have a team uh, to do these things for me. Um, okay. I am the true vine, thank you, and my father is the vine dresser. He takes away every branch that is not bearing fruit in me, and he prunes everyone that is bearing fruit so that it may bear more fruit. You have already been pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. This idea of God's vine is 
woven throughout the Old Testament. It, it's, it doesn't just happen once or twice. I've already read to you the passage from Isaiah 5, uh, where God sings a love song about Israel, his vine. He's made every possible provision for the vine, only to receive worthless grapes from her. If we go on to Isaiah 27, verses 2 through 6, God envisions a day of restoration for his vine, Israel. And it's, Israel will blossom and fill the whole world with her fruit. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, God complains that he planted Israel as a choice vine of holy, pure seed, but she turned degenerate and wild. Jeremiah 12, verses 10 through 13, God complains about the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, who have trampled Israel, his vine, and made her fall under his judgment. In Ezekiel, chapter 19, verses 10 through 14, God speaks to the princes of Israel about their mother, Israel, who was a beautiful vine, but who is now stripped bare and devastated. In Hosea chapter 10 verses 1 and 2, uh, we have a description of Israel as a luxuriant vine that yields fruit, but the fruit it yields is only for idolatry. God is going to tear the vine down. In Psalm 80 verses 8 and 9, Asaph describes how God dug up Israel as a vine from Egypt and transplanted it to the promised land. And in verses 14 and 15, he asks God to remember and care for his vine. It's very interesting, all of this background, because what Jesus says about vines now is a completely different thing than the prophets of the Old Testament have been saying about it. In the Old Testament, Israel is the vine, God is the vine dresser. And Jesus says that the, the, he retains that uh, image of the father as the vine dresser, as the laborer, as the one who is tending the vine. But now Jesus says not that Israel is God's vine. He says, I am the true vine. Because we can say a lot about Israel as God's vine, but true is not a word we could use to describe Israel. Israel was nothing but true. Israel was persistently and endemically unfaithful, constantly turning away from God. Uh, it was not a true vine. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. Vine. In fact, if I understand Jesus correctly, he's saying that Israel was a, a mere foreshadowing, a mere placeholder. God knew from the beginning that Israel would not succeed in bringing his goodness into the world. At least not uh, uh, until Israel was the vehicle God used to bring Jesus into the world. But the true vine was not Israel. It was Jesus who has come into this world to bring the good fruit of God to this world. And Jesus claims to be that true vine. His father is the vine dresser. Would you put verse 2 up, please? Thank you. And he talks about how the father does this labor of, of tending the vine. He says that every branch that is not bearing fruit in me, he prunes, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, he takes away. Uh, that word in the Greek, takes away, uh, could mean to raise up, 
Uh, and some people suggest that what he means here is that the vine that isn't producing fruit will be kind of lifted up and, and uh, repositioned so that it may bear fruit. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it's a contrast. There's a branch that gives fruit and that one is taken away. It is removed and in verse 5 we'll see that same idea very clearly that there are two approaches. There's a branch that bears fruit. That branch receives the kind of care from the Father that results in it not only bearing fruit but more fruit. And the one that bears no fruit is removed entirely and ultimately cast aside and burned. Uh, so uh, there, there is uh, an attention of the Father on the vine and he's very carefully watching what branches are doing. So in this uh, image, Jesus himself is the vine and we are those branches. And some branches are producing fruit, some are not. Now what's the fruit the Father's looking for that makes his determination as to whether he removes the branch or uh, cares, tends it so that it may bear more fruit? It's that they are bearing fruit in me. We might think that God is just looking for good behavior from us. That God is just looking for us to do good stuff. To do good deeds. Things that people would look at and say, oh, how sweet. You know, pay for the, the Starbucks of the guy behind you in line. You know, something like that. You know, some grand goodness that's going to make the world a better place. That's not what God's looking for. It's not just fruit. It's fruit in Jesus. What God is looking to see from our lives is Jesus. That's the fruit he's uh, watching for. And if that's not the fruit he sees, then that becomes automatically by definition a worthless branch, fit only to be torn away. Now the one who is producing fruit the branch that is bearing fruit. The father works attentively with that branch and prunes it uh, so that it may bear more fruit. He trims back what needs to be removed so that none of it is squandered. None of the, uh, the sap that is coming from the, the trunk uh, is wasted. And all of it is successful in producing abundant and good fruit. I love the thought that God is so invested in our lives being meaningful. That God cares that my life makes a difference. That he's not content just that my life bears the fruit it should. That we bring the goodness of Jesus into the world. But that even if that is already happening, he is intently working so that I am increasing in my ability to be a vehicle for the bringing of goodness into this world. You may think that you have the, the most invested interest in your success in life. That's not true. God is more interested in your life accomplishing that for which he made it than you will ever be. And God is at work. Working so that uh, those who have no interest in Jesus are uh, taken out of the way. And those who are interested in being a part of what God is doing through Jesus. Of bringing his goodness into the world. Are not only bearing fruit but doing so in ever increasing measure.
Jesus describes his father as the great vine dresser, pruning branches that bear good fruit from Jesus so that they can bear more and removing branches that do not produce this fruit. I want to think, I want to ask you to think for a moment of yourself within this metaphor. If you are a branch, how do you think the Father should be dealing with you? What kind of activity should he be doing in you? Let's keep on verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself if it does not abide in the vine, neither can you if you do not abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, this one bears much fruit because apart from me you cannot do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and he is burned up. So how does uh, the Father do this work in us? He says we have to abide in him. And I'm sorry, I'm just realizing there's in verse 3. Uh, would you put verse 3 up real quick? Uh, you have already been pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. That... Uh, there's a, an odd word used there in the Greek when he says that the Father prunes every branch that bears fruit. And then in the next verse, he says, you've already, he uses the same word, you've already been pruned. But the word he uses there is a little odd. It really means to be cleansed, to be made clean. And the idea of you're, you're trimming away dead things from the branch so that all that's left, the branch is clean and everything there is, is there that is meant to be there. So uh, I, I use the same word in the translation here uh, so that we realize he's using the same word. You've already, the Father has already pruned you by the word that I've given you. Which means that what we are called to do to bear fruit is to receive the word of Christ. I think that means that speaking with Jesus and prayer and listening carefully to what his Holy Spirit is whispering in our souls is vitally important. We need to listen to Jesus. That is part of that pruning process. I think also Jesus made it very clear, even though he deliberately went out of his way to reject all of the rabbinic interpretations and all of this idea of established interpretations of Scripture, he rejected all of that, but he always affirmed the authority of the written Word of God. Scripture, what we would call the Bible, Jesus always said, this is God's Word and you need to keep it. So that process of pruning involves submitting our lives to the voice of Jesus, both in prayer, I think, and in getting to know his word and submitting ourselves to it. And how do we go about living in this abiding in his word and, and receiving his word and this pruning activity? I think Jesus says the, the key to it all is to remain centered in him. Abide in me and I in you. The reciprocity Jesus is talking about here I find astonishing. 
that God Almighty should say, you need to stay put in me. Don't stray, don't go away. I'm the only place you can find everything you need. I get that, it makes sense. God is perfect and good and glorious and it is my duty as his creature created by him and given life by him for his purposes. It is my duty to abide in him. But for then God to turn around and say, you do that and I will abide in you. Why would he want to take up residence here? Why would he want to be a part of me? I can get why I want to be a part of what he's up to. But Jesus lets us know he wants this to be a reciprocal relationship. We are centering our lives in him and he will center his life in us. It's almost like a wedding vow. The idea of two parties giving themselves fully to each other. Abide in me and I in you. He uses this illustration of the branch to help us understand this relationship. What does a branch do on its own? You see a beautiful vine and you take the prettiest branch on it and you cut it off and you string it up in your yard. How many grapes are you going to get from that thing? Not one. Because the branch cannot produce grapes. Not on its own it can't. It doesn't have within itself the resources necessary to produce fruit. Unless it is receiving from the roots through the, the trunk of the vine all of the nutrients and all the things that it takes to make a grape, he has nothing to give. Jesus says that's exactly how it works with you. You cannot produce the fruit you need to produce from yourself. One of the most frustrating things in religious life is our attempt as, as human beings to try to produce what God is looking for from ourselves. And we dig deep and we try hard and we beat ourselves up and we do all these things and it's never what God is looking for because we don't have within ourselves the resources to produce what God is looking for. Because what God is looking for is Jesus in us. It's not enough for us to be pretty good by human standards. He's looking for the perfection that can come from only him. The, the, the dazzling beauty that can only come from Jesus himself. Now we would be satisfied with a lot less. But that's not what God's looking for. We cannot produce it. We can only receive it and let him produce it in us. So he tells us, this is what, I'm the vine, the true vine, you are the branches. So the one who abides in me and I in him, this one bears much fruit. That's a good promise from Jesus. You want significance in life? You want your life to amount to something? You want to be able to say at the end of your days, when you look back on your life, however long it ends up being, to be able to say, you know what? My life made a difference. 
The world is a better place because I live this human life. Don't you want to be able to say that? Don't you want your life to produce fruit that God looks upon and says, that's good fruit? Well, Jesus promises that if we abide in him and he in us, we are going to produce much fruit. Our lives will be significant. Because apart from me, you cannot do anything. Here's our problem as Christians. We start out with this Jesus thing. We come to him in faith. We trust our hearts to him. He forgives our sins and we think, okay, that's pretty much taken care of. Now I just got to go about living my life. And we, we may even be uh, serious enough about it to get into things like discipleship and try to learn things. And we find out there are so many things we can throw ourselves into. We can throw ourselves into the communion of the saints, the idea of fellowship and building fellowship. We can throw ourselves into worship and exalting Christ. We can throw ourselves into discipleship, prayer, and uh, studying the Bible. We can throw ourselves into evangelism and bearing witness about Christ to the world and missions and all these things we can throw ourselves into acts of service finding needs around us and meeting them with love and compassion sometimes we throw ourselves into all these things and forget Jesus and we, we discover very quickly that the minute I, minute I take one step away from Jesus I'm back to what I was. I don't have it in and of myself. I love the way Paul talks about it in Romans 7. I know that in myself, that is in my flesh, in other words, what I am minus God, no good abides. I am sold as a slave to sin. The Apostle Paul, who we would think of as somebody who's one of the highest in terms of how high they've risen in their walk with Christ, he says, even me, where I am right now, if I take one step away from Jesus, I am absolutely worthless. I think that's the reason Paul was so effective. He understood that. We never graduate from needing to be in Jesus. That's not the starting point. That is kindergarten through doctoral work. That is the work of your whole life. You will never get beyond needing to make being in Jesus the central focus of your existence. Because without him there is nothing to give. You may think your life depends on your education, on your career path, on the relationships you're building. All of that will crumble to dust if it's not centered in Jesus. Because you have nothing of significance to bring into the world without him. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. It isn't just that we will be less effective, you know, the, the, the edge will kind of come off of, of what we're doing. No, immediately worthless. In fact, if anyone does not abide in me, if you decide, I don't want this, I don't want to be in Jesus, I want to be in me. 
I'm going to do my life my way and God can do whatever he wants to do, but uh, that's his business. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can make that choice. If you choose not to abide in Jesus and say, I'm going to do it my own way, this is what Jesus tells us is going to happen with your life. Your life is going to be like the branch that wasn't producing fruit, that was cut off of the vine, and you dump them into piles. And you know what the branch of a vine is good for on its own? Nothing. You can't build furniture with it. You can't build a house with it. All it's good for is just to be gathered up in piles and burned. And you know, just get rid of it. Get, out, get it out of the way. It's a nuisance. It's worthless. This is what happens to a life without Jesus. It may seem like that's not the case. But ultimately, the whole life is going to end up being nothing uh, but worthless. Fit only to be gathered up and burned. What Jesus is telling us is that God wants us to make a real difference. God wants our lives to be significant, and he has provided the way for this to happen. Jesus is the true vine God has brought to this world to bear the fruit of his goodness on earth, and wonder of wonders, he has wanted to do that through our lives. To make us participants in that goodness. So that our lives are elevated from worthless to priceless. Because of who it is we are sharing with the world around us. Jesus said, we can produce no good fruit from ourselves. Only in him and he in us. Where do you stand in terms of abiding in Jesus and he in you? And what is the quality of the fruit your life is producing? Maybe I can ask it a different worry. Is the world truly a better place because you're in it? Would God say it is? Several thousand years ago, God planted a vine on earth. He saw the devastation sin had brought. He saw the cruelty, the wickedness, the suffering, the hopelessness. And he wanted to bring good back into this world. His vine, Israel, would bear fruit for him on earth. But Israel failed miserably. God poured his goodness into her, but she produced the same wicked fruit everyone around them was producing. So the Father sent the Son to the earth. Jesus was God's true vine. He came to bear the good fruit God wanted to see on this earth. The amazing thing is that Jesus didn't come simply to bring God's goodness. He came to bring it through us. If we will root ourselves in him, the true vine, he will bear in us the good fruit of God. As we abide in him and he in us, as we stay in his word, we become the means through which the very goodness of God Almighty comes into the world. 
To reject Jesus is to opt out of this goodness, to have nothing to offer but the same brokenness that sin has been feeding us since Adam and Eve were evicted from Eden. We can participate in the impact of God's good fruit or we can wither up and dry with nothing to show for an empty life. The choice is ours. I'd like to ask the musicians to come up. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to have an opportunity to do something in response to what we've heard in the message today. First of all, let me ask you, if you you do not know Jesus, you are not abiding in him because all you know about Jesus is you've heard of him, but you have certainly not entrusted your whole life to him, and he has taken your life as his place of residence. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to enter into that today, to surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, I want you to take my life. I want you to be Lord of my life, and I want you to bring all your goodness to bear in my life. And I commit myself to live my life in you and you in me. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward while we're singing. And there will be people up here. In fact, let's all stand. And those who are going to help with the, uh, with the invitation time, if you would come forward. There are people here on either side. Just share with them what God's put on your heart and let them pray with you. Maybe you already know Jesus. And you've just been reminded today that your life is absolutely worthless apart from him. And you needed to uh, come and say, Jesus, I have strayed and I can see that my life is not bearing the fruit it should. I want to repent and I want to draw near and I want to abide in you. If that's you this morning, come and share that with those who stand here at the front. Maybe you just need prayer. Whatever it is God lays on your heart, this is your opportunity to come forward and share with somebody and have them pray with you. Come while we sing.